Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. We are all accusers by nature. Now, if you don't believe me that we're accusers, uh, go and ask your kids to put something away today. Nine times out of ten, I guarantee that you're going to hear something like, uh, but I didn't bring it out, Johnny did. Uh, the, the name might be different, but that's kind of how the story usually goes. Well, he brought it out, but, but you played with it for the last hour, right? Uh, and the kid might say to you, yeah, because you told me not to play on my phone, so I had to play with something, so really, you should put it away. Now, if my kid said that to me, I'd say something like, now you listen here, kid. And the conversation would go in a different way. Uh, accusation comes so easily. We do it as kids, but we also do it as adults. Uh, a few days ago, I found two pieces of gum that someone had spit out on my driveway. Uh, if you know me, I get a little bit annoyed with that kind of stuff because I like things clean. But between Crystal and myself, uh, we picked up like eight pieces of gum spat out somewhere inside or outside our house in like a week's time. And we had to pick it up. And I was done. And so Finley was outside with me. And, and so, you know, she's my six-year-old. And I asked her, hey, do you know who's been spitting out all this gum? Uh, is it, and I asked if it was this one girl who'd come over a couple times in the last week. And she's like, no, I don't know. I, and then she started throwing out the Hopkins kids' names under the bus. She's like, I think it might have been Nora or Hudson. Now, I was really skeptical of this because uh, it was an accusation that didn't seem to fit because the Hopkins kids had been gone out of town all week. They hadn't been to our house. And so, uh, but then my, my daughter, she cracks me up. She's like, you know, I know it wasn't Piper. I said, oh yeah, why wasn't it Piper? Well, I know my best friend and that just really doesn't sound like something that my bestie would do. Now, I, I absolutely love the things that come out of six-year-old's mouths. Uh, for the record, I think I know who it was that spit out the gum. I'm not worried about it being the Hopkins kids, but it, it's true that we all find it really easy at times to throw accusations around at people. And it came easily to the people in the Bible too. Adam, Adam did it after the very first sin. God asked him uh, if, why, if he had eaten from the fruit from this forbidden tree, and he responds with an accusatory tone. He's like, the woman you put me here gave it to me. Uh, and then I'm thinking like, yeah, Adam, she might have given it to you, but you stuck it in your mouth and you ate it. Accusations, for a lot of us, it's just kind of the norm. And in the story that we're about to read today, uh, there is some intense accusations being thrown around. And the, the accusers, they're literally out for blood. But in the story that, you know, we're going to see this incredible reaction from Jesus. Uh, we're going to see how Jesus really is greater than our sin. He's able to diffuse the accusations of our sin with nothing short of a genius touch. This is part of our series that we've called Jesus is Greater, where every story shows us in some way how Jesus is the greater answer for the world that we've been placed in. When you stand under the accusation of sin, it's hard to feel virtuous. How can we come to the place where we can just find that Jesus is greater than the difficulty that we're dealing with in our sinfulness? How does Jesus win out for us in the end when it seems like it's an unwinnable battle that we've, been, that we've been dealing with. Now to look at these questions, we're gonna take a look at the story of the adulterous woman from John chapter eight. So I'm gonna begin reading this verses one through 11. It says, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts 
where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Now the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Uh, In the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now, leave your life of sin. Now of all the stories of Jesus, this one sticks out to me as the one that makes me say, man, this dude is a bad man. Like This dude just steps into this middle of a violent confrontation. And while the crowd is at its most rowdy point, this dude bends down onto the ground seemingly ignoring everything around him, and he starts to write in the dirt. That is so many more levels of cool than what I possess. It's like he doesn't even hear them shouting down curses and threatening to do all kinds of evil to him and to this woman. Uh, What is it that's really happening right now with this crowd? Well, they're, they're playing by the rules that, frankly, Jesus just isn't willing to play by. The crowd has set a trap on this woman. And really, they're trying to set a trap on Jesus, too. You think about the trap that they've set for this poor woman. Somehow, they've caught her in bed with a man that isn't her husband. But if they were really uh, mad about the sin, where is the man that they caught with her? Why isn't he anywhere in this story? Could it be that maybe they've set up one of their own to set her up? They got her into this compromising position only to haul her away like some sting operation that you'd see on the show 2020. If this is just about sin, it wouldn't be only this woman that's been dragged into the public, uh, into this public shaming. Now, if if this, this is a power trip brought on by a bunch of religious zealots, probably more than it is anything else, a, a bunch of men who wanted to show the power that they had over this woman that they considered to be a sinner. Let's be honest, this might be the most despicable kind of sin. While they're accusing the woman of such an awful wrong, they themselves are showing themselves to be devoid of love and empathy. And sadly, it's easy for us to play the same role as these religious zealots sometimes. They They were more eager to trap and accuse this woman of something awful than they were to offer her grace. They saw her as something less than when they should have seen her as one loved and in need of grace. And when I'm not careful, I do that same thing too. You know how many famous people that that I've trapped into my courthouse of accusation? Uh, I've decided that they're not worth any empathy. And in in those kinds of moments, I've played the part of this angry crowd. Whenever we look at someone and decide that they're hopeless and less than because they haven't quite matched up to what we think they should match up to, we've run the risk of being this crowd. But it wasn't just the woman that the crowd was trying to trap. They wanted to trap Jesus, the wisest and most admired of all of them. Now, again, this isn't unlike anything that you or I are guilty of. If you be honest, who hasn't had some sense of satisfaction when the person that seemed to have it all 
had a falling from grace. If someone who had everything going well for them, if that person could be brought down, it's like we all get to take a few leaps forward ourselves. And it's sick. It, it, but it's, that's our sinful, sinful nature in a nutshell. For this crowd, trapping Jesus was as exciting as trapping this sinful woman. Really, it seemed like a no-win situation for Jesus. If he sides with the crowd, he has signed off on this, the stoning of this woman, and he seems heartless. But if he sides with the woman, he's essentially said that adultery is okay and that he's now guilty of disobeying the law himself. There really doesn't seem to be an easy way out for Jesus in this situation. But for Jesus, this is another opportunity to show how much greater he really is. In this moment, Jesus shows us this. Jesus' wisdom is greater than the trap of sin. Have you ever wondered what, what exactly Jesus was doing when he knelt down to write in the dirt? And I love this moment. You know, was he buying time to think or to pray and to, to discern the right thing to say at the right time? Was he writing down all the ways that the people in the crowd had messed up in the past? Here's something actually really interesting based on the Greek manuscripts of this text. Uh, the normal Greek word for to write is grapho. But here the word is actually used that Jesus writes down when, when he's writing on the ground. The word used is katagrapho, which can actually have this added meaning of writing down a record against someone. So maybe that's exactly what Jesus was doing in this moment. Taking time, making accusations against the men, just like they were making accusations about the woman that they trapped. And these men in the crowd, they begin to quiet down as Jesus is writing down on the ground a record of their own sins for all the world to see. Or maybe was it his lack of response to the crowd? Was it simply meant to calm them down? Now, sometimes when we're being attacked by accusations, all that's needed is the patience not to overreact. And in those moments then, people might start to see uh, that in this moment of peace, they start to see that their acts are unjustified. Uh, whatever it was, Jesus had tremendous wisdom in this moment, as he always does. The trap of sin that was being hurled at, at Jesus was no match for his wisdom. And his wisdom can be applied in your life when you feel the heat of accusation coming down on you. I want you to take this to heart. It says, don't listen to the accusations around you. They're more the voice of Satan speaking than it's ever the voice of your Savior speaking. Accusations is not the voice of Jesus in your life. If you can grab onto that fo this following thought, I think it's going to help a, a tremendous effect on how you deal with the weight of guilt in your own life, especially in light of accusations that you feel are being thrown your way. And the thought is this. Jesus accuses for the purpose of extending grace and bringing healing. Satan, and sometimes other people, Satan accuses for the purpose of leaving you feeling defeated. See, whenever Jesus tries to get a hold of you and let you in on the fact that you messed up, you know, I called it an accusation a second ago, really it's about conviction. But when he does that, it's not so that he can hold you down in that place of guilt. Jesus wants to give you freedom. His yoke, and his easy, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He died so that you could be healed. But Satan, on the other hand, Satan wants nothing more than to keep you held down. He wants to bludgeon you with all of your past wrongs. He wants to hit you so hard with all those past wrongs that you feel like there's no possible way that you could ever get victory. What's the difference in Jesus' approach to sin than Satan's approach? 
It might look like this. When I'm praying, sometimes uh, God will bring to mind a comment that I made to somebody maybe that morning or, or the day before, and, and the regret is immediate. I can sense how wrong the comment was. And, and then there's this still small voice that simply just says something like, give that person a call today and apologize. As simple as that. But other times I've been made aware of something regret, re regrettable that I've said. And the voice going off in my head says something like, you are awful. How can you consider yourself a Christian, let alone a pastor, when you say something like that? You're going to lose all the trust of everybody around you. You've got to keep your mouth shut today because if you don't, you're going to stick your foot in your mouth again. Now, you catch the difference between those two voices. It's a really stark difference. One voice is non-accusatory and it's really simply aiming at healing. That's the voice of victory. The other voice is accusatory. It aims at making you feel worse as the day gets longer. It wants to shut you down from any action because doing nothing is going to keep you in defeat. Follow the voice of Jesus, whose voice always is wise. He will lead you out of the trap of sin and into actions that lead to healing and restoration. The voice of the enemy wants to, to really do just the opposite. He gives false wisdom that really just stifles you and causes you to stay stuck where you are. Jesus wants to bring you out of sin. He's not trying to constantly remind you of your sins. So no one recognizes the difference. Jesus doesn't want you living in guilt because people who live in guilt never make any positive changes in their lives. All right, so let's go back to the story now for a minute. We're going to look at verses 6 through 9 again. It says, They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. But Jesus bent down, started right on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Now at this, those who heard began, they started to go away one at a time. The oldest ones first, because oldest ones usually can, can accept their failures first. <laughs> Until Jesus was only left with the woman. She was standing there. And can you just sense the patience that's oozing out of Jesus in this part of the story. I'm telling you, I couldn't do what he did here. These guys are making these horrendous accusations of this woman, and they're picking up stones ready to kill her. I'm pretty sure I'd go into full loco Kellen mode, and I'd mess somebody up if I could in this situation. But I'd be telling them what a sorry bunch of nobodies they were. I'd, I'd be super mean about it. But Jesus just draws on, draws on the ground. And then he gets up and he calmly says, hey, if any of you hasn't sinned, go ahead and throw a stone at her. And then he bends down and he draws on the ground again. Like, Jesus, this isn't craft hour. What are you doing? Throw some tables around like you've done before. Or you're going to do. Get, get mad. But will getting mad at this crowd actually ease their accusations? There's no way. Uh, really, it's just going to, it would make them even more accusatory. And here's some silliness. Uh, Crystal and I, we, we had this small problem that came up recently with our Amazon account because everybody has an Amazon account, right? And so Cameron, my, my second oldest daughter, she had a gift card for Amazon and we put it on our account. But she hadn't purchased anything yet. And so a few weeks back, I went and I bought something. I saw, hey, we got money, we got money on a gift card on Amazon. I'll use it. And so I did. And Crystal got a little bit annoyed with me. And she had to put money back on the gift card for Cameron. Um... Then a couple days ago, I bought a book. And if you've ever bought a Kindle book on Amazon, you see that there's this thing that it says, buy with one click. 
It's a button and it makes things so easy. And so I went ahead and I, I bought with one click. The problem is, is it goes right off of the gift card again. And so I tell Crystal about it and I'm like, I guess I, we got to put more on the gift card. And she's like, I don't know why this is so complicated for you that you keep spending her gift card. And then I went into full whiner mode. I'm like, don't get all mad at me. And then I'm, I'm mumbling stuff like it's your fault because you put it on there. And I, what? And I was just mumbling. And she looks over at me and she's like, oh, this guy. And she was right. I, I was being a jerk. Now, let's just say patience would have been way better for our relationship in that moment than me hurling out another accusation. Jesus is perfect in patience, and that matters when it comes to the idea of accusations. See, Jesus' patience is greater than the accusation of sin. I know that when I'm, when I'm guilty of sin, and I, I can count on the fact that Jesus is going to be patient with me because his patience is greater than his need to accuse me. My patience with my wife wasn't as great as my need to accuse her in that moment. In fact, Jesus doesn't, he doesn't even want to accuse me. He died on a cross so that he wouldn't have to accuse me of things. He just wants to steer me in a better direction. But I also know that I need to learn to follow in the footsteps of Jesus because my tendency is to put patience aside and go after someone with my own accusations. Maybe I, maybe I don't do it to their face, but I know I sure as heck do it in my mind and my heart. A lot of the time, I'm, I'm accusing people all the time in my mind. Uh, I love to accuse people in, in this inner dialogue that I have. And it's rare that I let patience win out over that dialogue. Now, somewhere in that inner dialogue, I have to come to this understanding, uh, an understanding that I'm also the same brand of sinner that I'm accusing that person of being. In my overheated silliness, I need to cool off and see that I'm accusing somebody of things that I myself am guilty of. I need to learn patience if I'm ever going to see people the way that Jesus sees me. I need to keep, I need to keep this in mind. Uh, when using someone's sin as a weapon against them, remember that the same weapon can be wielded at you because you're no perfect angel either. Uh, the best thing that you can do to make your relationships with people stronger and gospel-centered is to let patience win out over accusation. It doesn't mean that you're never going to confront someone about something, but it does mean that you don't have to confront them as a way of righteousness. And seriously, we almost think at times that it, it's the righteous thing for me to confront people when they're in the wrong. But you know what? Living a quiet life of patience in front of other people, giving them time for the Holy Spirit to do the real work of conviction, that goes a lot further than you spouting off about, what, about what, everything that they're doing wrong. Uh, there's something that Eric, our executive pastor, says all the time, and I, ask, I absolutely love it. He says, it's still the job of Jesus through the Holy Spirit to point out sin to people. It's our job to point people to Jesus. See, we don't need to accuse people of all the bad things that they do all the time because it never helps. The, the quiet and calm patience of Jesus with one perfectly worded statement where he says, he without sin cast the first stone, that was all that was needed to bring people to this understanding of all the wrong that they were doing. They didn't need a brimstone and fire speech. And frankly, that would have probably just caused them to dig their heels in even more and fight Jesus even more. I love another thing that David Guzik says about this. He says, there is still a place for exposing and rebuking and directly dealing with the sins of others in God's family. But it must always be done with a heart that recognizes itself as a forgiven sinner. 
When done right, confronting sin is done more often with tears and a broken heart than with anger and condemnation. How often have you had people come to you and try to correct you and they were so broken about it that they were actually in tears about it? And how often have people tried to correct you and they were just angry in their disposition about you? And how did you react to either one of those? Let's be honest, the religious zealots in this story, they were committing just as awful of a sin as they were accusing the sinful woman of doing. They knew nothing of what love and empathy really looks like. Be careful of religious people who want to weaponize the commands of God against you. And be careful about becoming such a person yourself. If religious people are constantly telling you what you're doing wrong and trying to shame you into behavioral change, then guess what? They're not treating you like Jesus treats sinners. Jesus most often wins people over with patience and time and a few Holy Spirit-inspired words at just the right moment. Pray that you can have those moments and those words for the ones that you love in your life. Now, we can't finish talking about this story without looking at the very end of this passage and seeing how Jesus finishes things off with this woman. In verses 10 and 11, it says that Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? All these people that were accusing you. Has no one condemned you? And she says, No one, sir. And Jesus then declares to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go now. Live your life. Leave your life of sin. Go now. Leave your life of sin. That's so important to hear. See, Jesus is telling her to go and sin no more. He hasn't convicted her, but he also isn't just leaving her to go and do whatever she's done in the past. You know what this says to me? It says that there is strength in the grace of Jesus. Jesus' strength is greater than the hold of sin in our lives. Jesus didn't shame this woman. He forgave her. And out of that forgiveness, he was able to tell her to go and change what was possible. And that change was possible. And we're going to talk more about about shame in, in one of our upcoming messages. But Jesus does everything here right now to dispel this woman of her shame. If she walked away in shame, the shame is never going to be an avenue for change or growth. Shame actually hurts our growth. It makes us afraid to do anything because we feel like we're never going to be able to to do it right. Uh, Brene Brown says some really good stuff about shame. Uh, One of the things she says is shame corrodes the very part of us that believes we're capable of change. Man, in this story, and and in your own story, Jesus' grace is the greater springboard for change that shame can never be. Grace frees us from the compelling nature to sin again. Because we've gotten such a great gift, uh, and we can become renewed and re-energized by this gift of grace. Uh, The old preacher John Bunyan, uh, sometimes he was criticized for emphasizing grace too much. And... Uh, it's, in a book, it talks about how it says uh, that people would say, if you keep on preaching on the grace of God, people will do whatever they want. And his response to that was, no, if I keep on preaching the grace of God, they will do whatever he wants. Um, you know, the more that you realize what Jesus has given to you in grace, the more that you're going to want to live the life that Jesus wants you to live. And the hold of sin on your life will have less and less power over you. That's why the strength of Jesus is found in his grace. Likewise, the strength in your relationship with other people is going to be found in the grace that you're able to dish out to them. It's important for us to recognize where sin can lead us. Getting rid of our sin is a good endeavor in life, but it's not all about behavioral modification. 
It's not all about how we change our attitudes. It's not about acting better so that you can please God a little more. It's about getting your life where Jesus wants you to because that's, what, that's what's best and it's what's best for you. Instead of trying so hard to act a certain way, we need to buy in fully to his grace. By grace, he saves us. By grace, he gives us a reason to live differently. By grace, he offers us a better way that leads to a healthier life. And in the end, buying into grace, it brings freedom. Whereas when we try harder to act right, it just binds us down because we're always going to fall short. And then what happens is that shame just, it's just around the corner. Jesus doesn't want shame to be your hurdle any longer. The accusation, condemnation, and shame of this world, they are great. Uh, But the grace and forgiveness of Jesus is far greater. You aren't meant to live with the weight of your sin on your life. Uh, Because Jesus, his sole intent in going to the cross was to take that weight on himself. Today, let let that burden of your sin go. Give it over to Jesus. He's not only capable of taking it on himself, he wants to take that on himself. That's why he died on the cross. Let him give you victory over your sin and the guilt that so often attaches to our conscience because of our sin. Why don't you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much uh, that you have an incredible grace for us. God, we look at this story and we see how, uh, how you, with, with such wisdom and with such patience, you dispelled this crowd and, and you dispelled this woman of all the shame that she had. God, I pray that whatever shame we have in our own lives today, I pray that you'd help us to see uh, that, we're, that we're better than that because of you. Help us to see that your grace is greater than our sin. Um, give us victory over these areas of sin in our lives that we deal with. God, help us not to live in guilt, but God, help us to live in freedom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.